So over you know, the course of time, there's been a lot of famous speeches, right? A lot of famous documents, writings. So I want to see how quick you are to, to recognize when I say the little quote, you tell me who said it. Got it? Okay. I have a dream. That was cake, right? So how about this one? The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Good job, teacher. Um, he said that after uh, the, we got Pearl Harbor got bombed when he gave his speech to the nation. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. How about this one? The most important, the most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Anybody know who said that? Good job. Gold star for you. Mark Twain, uh, online family. How about this one? Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. JFK. And then, how about this one? To be or not to be, that is the question. Shakespeare. Okay, this one you better not get wrong. Who said this? Do this in remembrance of me. Our Lord Jesus. Jesus said that at the, at the Last Supper with his disciples. And today we're taking communion. And as Bradley has said oftentimes that, that you know, weird church is better than no church. Weird communion is better than, than, than no communion. We had the little cups that you got. Hopefully, if you're watching online, make sure you got your bread, juice to take that with us at the end together. But we're, we're, uh, Jesus told his disciples, you know, he was going to break bread, and, and, he, and, and they drank wine, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. My body's going to be broken for you. My, my blood's going to be shed to create the new covenant. And in that, he was going to deliver us from death and sin and the work of the enemy. So we're finishing out our series called My Two Sons, where we're we have already gone through 2 Timothy. Paul called Timothy his son in the faith. He, he raised him up, mentored him, and then he was very useful for him in pastoring and, and leading churches. Titus is his other son in the faith. And so we're finishing today in Titus chapter 3. And it's remarkable how the, the Spirit organizes things and what we're talking about in Titus 3 in line with, with communion taking communion this morning. We need to be reminded, why did Jesus say, do this in remembrance of me? Because we forget. Don't we have a quick tendency to forget how blessed we are, to be thankful, and we need reminders. And how many use sticky notes for reminders around? My desk is covered with sticky notes all over, because I, I, I want to remember to do something or... I, I think of a, a thought, and I'll write it down. Even if I don't get, get to it right away, at least it's there, and it's, it's on my little sticky area of my desk. And the thought I had about us remembering what Jesus did for us, like how sticky is my sticky note in my brain and in my heart? Because that's the, the, the power of a sticky note is if it has stick stuff. Otherwise, it's just going to fall to the ground or find its way in the wastebasket. So Paul tells Titus in this chapter. I saw it right in the middle of the chapter as I was studying this porterhouse steak of meat of the gospel and, and a reminder. He's reminding Titus 
of who he is because of Jesus. And if Paul needed to remind himself and Titus of the gospel, I need to be reminded. You need to be reminded every day. So I think we, we, we need to be reminded of several things. And the first thing that we need to be reminded of is we need to remember that Jesus, he came for us. He came on a rescue mission. He says, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, Jesus appeared. He came in human flesh. God the Son came into the world as, as a baby and grew up to be a man. He appeared to us. He came to us, and he, he came right on time. Galatians chapter 4 says that in the fullness of time, or just at the right time, Jesus came into this world, born under the law to fulfill all of the law on our, on our behalf, to become and to reverse all of the work that Adam and Eve did in the fall and in, the, in sin and in, in his perfect timing, he came to undo that. And what we got to remember from this, this verse here is Jesus, he came to also show us what God was like. People didn't know what God was like. Even Moses, even Abraham, they didn't fully know who God was. No one did. And the reason I say that is John chapter 1 verse 18 says that no one has ever seen God but God the Son has made him known or has explained him. And so he, he came and he, he appeared to us. Jesus is the direct reflection of the Father. He's, he's the direct reflection of his love and his kindness, the direct reflection. Here's what it says in, in John 1. Before I say that, it, Psalm 107 verse 20 says, The Lord sent his word and he healed them from their destruction, speaking of Israel. So he sends his word, and he heals from our self-destructive life. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, talking about Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that, that has come into being. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word came to us. When Jesus created the world, he spoke, he, you know, let there be light. Let there be creation. He spoke it into being. And so that, that power of the Son of God, the, the creative power, came and became human in who he is, to become one of us. I was thinking about this, and in Luke 19 is the story of Zacchaeus. You know, Zacchaeus, the wee little lad, he's a, he's a, he was short, we were told in, in the passage, Luke 19. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated by the Jews because they extorted money. They, they collected taxes for the Romans, but then extorted money from their own people to get rich. So they were, they were way worse than the IRS's reputation. <laughs> they, they were thieves literally taking from their own people. And, and Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And it says in the story that he was short and that he had heard that, that Jesus was coming. And he had heard about what Jesus was doing. And it says that he, he climbed on a tree to be able to see Jesus. And 
it says that Jesus saw him in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, I need to come to your house today. I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight. And Zacchaeus was blown away. He got down from the tree, and he came to Jesus, and he repented, and he said, if I've taken too, too much money, I'm going to give it back, you know, several times over. There was a repentance that happened in his, his being, being a thief and being, you know, greedy with money immediately in his, in his heart. How did that happen? He didn't pray a sinner's prayer. He didn't walk the aisle. He didn't go to church. Jesus appeared to him in his, the kindness of God. By Jesus acknowledging to him, hey, I'm coming to your house, blew his mind. And that's where salvation happened. Jesus said, right after that encounter, he said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. He came on a, on a rescue mission. I have to admit something to you that I'm not proud of. During the whole quarantine, I watched Rambo 6. Anybody else see it? I know. Let me tell you, don't watch it. If you tell me that you watched it and you blame me, I do not recommend this movie at all. However, some of the other Rambo movies were good, but you know Rambo. He's a, a war veteran. He goes on rescue missions, and he, he take, gets people out of prisons and you know all that kind of stuff. In this particular one, though, as bad as the movie was, um, this girl, his, his friend's daughter was taken by the cartel, and they got her hooked on heroin and all this stuff. And, he, and, you know, John Rambo comes to save the day, and he makes his way to where she's at. And the look on her face when she saw him, when she saw him appear, and I thought, that's the gospel right there. That's Jesus coming for us at our worst. That's what, that's what happened in that story. So Jesus came for us. The second thing that we need to be reminded of is we need to remember he saved us. Paul is reminding Titus, hey, he saved us. He saved us not on the basis of good deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. He didn't save us because we did something. He saved us because of who he is, his mercy. I think it's super important as you're reading this that you realize the phrase he saved us is past tense. He's not saying he's going to save us. It says he saved us. In the evangelical Christian world, in the evangelical churches, we often say things that just aren't biblically true. We say things like, you need to make Jesus Lord. You need to make Jesus Savior. We don't make him anything. He already is Lord. He already is Savior. Our part is to acknowledge that, to acknowledge, Jesus, you are my Savior. Jesus, I'm going to follow you as Lord. We need to live in what already has been done. The third thought here to remember before we take communion this morning is we need to remember that he lives in us by his Holy Spirit. Jesus is in us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Is this good news? Like this is the, the heart of the gospel is what we're unpacking right here. When I think about church, I think two words have to really be thought through and lived out as, the, as an expression of the local church. One of them 
is the word communion. But more than just the bread and the wine or the juice, communion is common union. We are in union with God through the Holy Spirit, and we're in union, common union with one another through the Holy Spirit. Like, that's amazing. He lives and dwells in us. And then the word community is another important word. We are a community of Christ followers with a common unity. Our common unity is the, the work of, of the Spirit in us. And it's the work of the Spirit. He, we can't just give lip service to the person of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't, it, sometimes people don't know how the Holy Spirit works. They don't know how the Holy Spirit is, is in us. We don't acknowledge it. But we need, if you start calling out for Him to, to remove the darkness from our minds, remove the darkness from our thoughts, heal me from the inside out, you'll see Him at work. In John chapter 3, this guy named Nicodemus comes to meet with Jesus, and he's a teacher of Israel, a teacher of the law, so he knew all the scriptures. And he comes to Jesus, and he asks some questions for him. And Jesus, Jesus looks at him, and he says, unless someone's been born again or born of the Spirit, they can't see the kingdom of God. And what that means is we got darkness over our eyes. We can't see the kingdom of God. We can't see the kingdom of God at work around us or even in, in us. And Nicodemus says to Jesus, he goes, well, how can I do that? Do I, how can I go back into my mother's womb to be born again? And Je Jesus kind of snips back a little bit, and he says, you're a teacher of Israel, and you can't understand what I'm talking about? And what he was saying there is, your framework of religion, your framework of thou shalts and thou shalt not, and do this, and all this outward trappings of religion, he said, you think that's how you find God. I'm here to show you who God is. I'm here to show you what God is like. And unless that light switch goes on inside of your mind and your heart, you can't even see what's going on. So we need that. We need, to, we need to remember the Holy Spirit is with us, Christ's presence all the time. And then the next thing to remember is something I've been meditating on a lot lately, is we need to remember that Jesus has set our relationship with God right. What do I mean by that? He's set our relationship with, with God right. He continues and he says, so that being justified by his grace justified by his grace. To be justified is to be declared righteous. Sometimes we don't act righteous. Sometimes we don't act holy, correct? Am I in the right group of people? That's me. But we've been declared righteous. We've been declared holy on behalf of Jesus' perfect life and on behalf of his death and resurrection, we've been declared that. So when the devil comes to you and starts speaking things about how bad you are, or how, how you know, you're not a very good Christian, all these little things that he tries to say, you know what? Remember who you are in Christ. Remember that you've been justified not by your behavior, but by what Jesus did for you in his grace. Now, now the, the word justified also has a fulfillment of the law, all the do's and don'ts and the ifs of the old covenant. If you do this, you'll be blessed. If you don't, etc. Um, Jesus answered all those ifs in his life. He did that for us. 
And we need to meditate on that, but it's more than just a legal thing, it's a relational thing. We've been justified by grace. This is a relational thing. This is not some ledger thing that God moved, you know, Jesus' account to our account and, and some stoic sort of thing. It's a relationship. And the more we meditate on that, the more healing comes into our lives, the more we have an identity that's in, in our relationship with God, our identity, not in, in, in the healing that comes from the, the, the stuff from life that we get into. We have a, some funky ideas about God in our culture, especially the Father. I think people go, okay, Jesus, he's cool. The Holy Spirit, yeah, but the Father, who's he? And man, did Jesus come to set that relationship right? We think he's the, the grouchy grandpa in the sky who tolerates us because of Jesus. And that might be some of your mindset. And I grew up with a dad that modeled a good father figure to me. Therefore, I feel like I've always seen the father, right? But man, I talk to people every day who had poor father figures who think God is some out there far off being. The father is, he tolerates me because of Jesus. Nothing could be farther from the truth. I want to tell you something this morning, and I want you to hear it. The father is madly in love with his children. You're the son he always wants. You're the daughter he always wanted. Don't ever lose sight of that. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, he said, he was talking about the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit was poured out on the, the early church. And he, he said, on that day, this is so important, on that day you will know that I am in my Father, that connection, that relationship of Father-Son, and I am in you, and you are in me. Union. That, think of the relationship that the Father and Son have through the Spirit. It's perfect. It's others-centered. It's, they, they love with a perfect love. Jesus didn't bring us into a relationship like he has with his Father, or even like you have with your earthly father. He, the best earthly father relationship. He brought us into his relationship with his father. Is that good news? You are in that relationship. Not something like it, but you are literally in that relationship. That, that to me, has been going off. And, and I, you know, I could always I could give lip service to it or head knowledge, but it's saturated my heart recently in a fresh way. I, I've encouraged you guys a lot to to receive the love of God, to make a practice of receiving the love of God, not just firing prayers of God, would you do this for me, would you bless this, do that, but literally having communion with the Father and just say, Father, I receive your love. I acknowledge that you love me. Move the, remove the darkness where I can't see that you're good. Remove the darkness where, where I think you're out there rather than, than inside of me. When I, when I walk, I make a practice of, of receiving the love of God, and, and a couple weeks ago, I was, I was walking, and I had quite the, quite the encounter. I was just telling the Father, I was like, thank you, Father. I receive your love. And as soon as I said that, I heard him say to me, in my mind, I heard him say, Scott, do you love your kids? I started bawling, because I knew what he meant. I mean... 
I love my kids. I know I love my kids. And he was saying to me, you think you love your kids? I love you 10,000 times more and more perfectly than you could ever love anybody. That's a game changer, guys. It's a game changer from all the stuff that we've been told we're not lovable. We're told we're not good enough. We're told we're not wanted. All these things that we go through. And then when we get the love of the Father in us, you get his, his heart for you, game changer. How you live your life, how you see people, how you parent, how you be a spouse, a friend, whatever it is, it's, it's a complete game changer. The next thing is to remember when we take in communion today, we need to remember that we're co-heirs with Christ, co-heirs with Jesus. He says, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What is an heir? An heir is a person who's going to inherit somebody's stuff. They're going to inherit somebody's fortune. They're going to inherit a lamp. I don't know. <laughs> you know you, whatever it is you want to will to somebody, you're going to, you, you're going to inherit that from them. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. If you take taking notes, memorize this verse. Ephesians 1, 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing, you lack nothing. All that is Christ's, he has shared with you and I. How many think that's good news? That's amazing news. And he, he, it's the, the good news is so much more than a get-out-of-jail-free card. And if your relationship with God is just more about, have I been good enough, or I'm going to get in by the skin of my teeth, you're missing the whole point of why Jesus came. He came to, for that, to share his life and his relationship with the Father and the Spirit with us so that we could live life and live life to the fullest. So I'm challenging myself and anybody that will listen, are we living life to the fullest? Are we bogged down by all the, the, the stuff around us and the busyness and, and trying to get ahead in life and just give lip service to Jesus? And there's so much more to this. And I get it. Like life is busy and hectic and sorrowful at times. This is the only thing that's going to cause us to, to be able to get through the tough stuff, is reminding ourselves of, the, of these truths. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He didn't say some things. Everything. You and I lack nothing when it comes to spiritual blessings. You don't need to ask the Lord to be with you or to have more of Him. We need to access what's already inside of us and learn how to access that on a daily relational basis and to have an understanding of that. I was thinking about this when it comes to inheritance. I mean, no, Bill Gates is pretty rich. He, he's got coin and bank that is unbelievable. Somebody is going to inherit his fortune. And I don't know if it's kids or his kids or whoever, but the people who know that they are heirs to the Bill Gates fortune, they probably live pretty financially peacefully, not worried about where they're going to 
how they're going to live their life or is there going to be enough or what they're going to do. You follow me? I mean, they're, they're living in a financial peace knowing what the future is. What about a person who didn't know that they were in his will? They didn't know that they were an heir to some or all of his fortune. Let's just play, play this scenario with me. How would that person react when they found out either through him dying in, in the reading of the will or they were told, hey, you're going to inherit all of this stuff? How would that person react? They would shout and do cartwheels and throw a party and they would just be blown away that they were going to be financially set for the rest of their life and then some and beyond. Can I tell you something that should be true of us and me? That should be our response when we hear this stuff. If we're not hearing it and, and having a party in our hearts and thanking God, then we're missing it. We're missing. We had, Jesus has given us everything that's his. You lack nothing. And may God remove darkness in our, our minds that can't see it. That's, that's, that's my prayer, is that we would see how good he is and see what he's done for us. Then the last thing is kind of a response to, to all of this good news. Things that we celebrate when we come to the, the communion table, take communion together, all these truths of what we're, we're hearing. The last one is, is our response, and it's this. When I go take communion, I need to remember how to live in light of the good news. You and I need to remember, how do we live? What's our, what's our response to this beautiful news of what Jesus has done for us and, and this relationship we've been brought into with the Father? I took Paul's thoughts and I organized them for him in this, in this chapter. Because right in the middle, I said that's that big stake of gospel truth, but there's other things spread around there that he's challenging Titus on how to tell these followers of Jesus to live. He says, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. Count how many times he says good deed in this, these verses. To malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we were, this is where Paul's showing compassion for this, this the Cretans who were unhealthy culture, becoming healthy through the gospel. And he has compassion. He says, for we also were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Good deeds three times. Now, here, here's what I got when I was studying for this. We don't do good deeds to earn God's favor. We do good deeds to show God's favor. Today's the day of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians 6 says. And we're part, 
partners with Jesus. We're partners with God in blessing people and showing the favor of God on, on people's life when we do good things for them. It's a reminder when we, when we love one another and we care for one another. We live in, in, in a strange time in our culture. The ideological battles and tug-of-war that is going on is it's crazy. It, it is, it's, people are ticked off about this. They're ticked off about that. Everybody's on edge. And I'm telling you, this is the time for us to walk in love more than it's going to be tested. Our love will be tested. It's, it's affected re- marriages, our, our intention and, and having exposing problems, relationships, all kinds of stuff. Um, next week, we're going to start a new series. And I, I've titled that series One Word. Literally, the title is One Word. What's one word that describes God? What's one word that describes the gospel? What's one word that describes how God wants us to live? What do you think that word is? Love. God is love. The God, Jesus, for God so loved, he came, gave his one and only son. And Jesus said, the world around you <clears throat> will know that you're my disciples, that you follow me when you have love for one another. And we never outgrow love you figured that out, right? We never arrive that I'm, I'm perfect at love now. No. But we grow more and more in learning how, how to love. So we're going to unpack um, 1 Corinthians 13 for a few weeks and look at what love does. That love is a choice. It's not a feeling. And, and just be reminded as, as his people to, to live in our relationships and with one another in love. And, and the, the deal is, love led Jesus to the cross. His love for God so loved. And I was thinking about this, it hit me in first service. Love is going to lead you to your cross. We all have a cross to bear. Could be a difficult relationship right now. Difficult situation physical, whatever that cross to bear is love, let love lead you as you carry your cross. Let let his love fill you and then pour it out to those around you. Just be a conduit of his love, a vessel of his love. We're going to take communion, but before we do that, we're going to stand up and sing and then we'll take uh, communion together and, and pray. You stand with me. And I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray.
at home you're eating some yummy wonder bread or whatever but uh, we'll take it on the night he was betrayed Jesus took bread he lifted it to heaven and he blessed it he gave it to his disciples and he said this bread represents my body which is going to be broken for you broken for your restoration He said, do it in remembrance of him. Let's take it. When we were in Israel, we took communion with something like this, and I remember complaining. I'll never complain again. After supper, Jesus poured a cup of wine and he lifted it to heaven and he blessed it. He told his disciples, he said, this is, represents my blood that's going to be shed for you. That represents the new covenant, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, all that stuff we see in the Old Testament. He was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices and by him submitting himself to death by him submitting himself to death he conquered death he abolished death and by his resurrection on the third day he lived again and he he, he abolished and, and put the death nail into sin and into the works of the devil so as we were remembering what he's done 
remember that. Remember all that he's done for you. We do this in remembrance of you, Jesus. Let me pray. May God bless everyone listening, everyone in this room, everyone online. May God bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May you have the recall daily when life hits you of what Jesus has done for you, who you are because of him. May you know the love of the Father deep, deeper and more than you ever have or have experienced. May you experience his love. May his love and the gospel heal you from the traumas of life, heal you from what you're going through even now, that he is the shelter in the storm. He's the way maker. He's the truth, the life, the author and finisher of all of our faith. And may we rest in that as we become more loving and kind as he is. In Jesus' name, amen.